Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1 this morning. Ruth chapter 1. And if you're looking for Ruth, you can find it just after the book of Judges. Just after the book of Judges. Ruth chapter 1. This morning we're going to be beginning a new series uh, on this book and it'll most likely be a short series of about four or five sermons. There's not many books of the Bible that are named after women. Um, this, this book here, Ruth, and there's also the book of Esther. And these two books are wonderful books. I think um, one of the reasons I've come to love this book we'll be looking at this morning is my own daughters and my wife as well. There's just certain wonderful uh, pictures and that we have seen as a family as we've gone through this book of Ruth many times reading it at home in our family devotions. But I pray by God's grace that we would see what a blessing it is that we learn from Ruth. Ruth was a godly and wonderful example. And Ruth did not come from a Jewish or religious background. She came from Moab, which was outside of the promised land. But before we read God's holy and infallible word, I just want to talk briefly with the boys and girls and also everyone else. Boys and girls, I wonder if someone said to you, I'm going to give you 100 sweets. And you're probably wondering, what do I need to do to get these 100 sweets? Well, what if somebody said to you, to get these 100 sweets, you have to sin? Do you think it's worth it to do something that's not right before God for those 100 sweets? Imagine these are your favorite sweets now. No, it would be a bad thing, wouldn't it? What if somebody came back again and said, no, I'm not going to give you 100 sweets. I'm going to give you 1,000 sweets. Would it be a good idea then to sin against God? No. You know why? Because God is worth far more than a thousand sweets. What if somebody came to you and offered you a hundred pounds and said, if you will sin against God, I'll give you this hundred pounds. Is it worth it? Not at all. What about if somebody came back again? Okay, you're not going to take a hundred pounds. Here's a million pounds. Imagine all the sweets you could buy with a million pounds. A lot. So you come back with a million pounds and you think, hmm, but we'd have to say no, wouldn't we? To that million pounds. Because Christ is worth far more than a million pounds, isn't he? God is worth far more than all the money, all the riches, of the world. So we'd have to say that Christ and God is worth far more than anything else in this world. It's very important that as we grow up, as we grow in our knowledge of God, that we see that, that we trust in God alone. Ruth (coughs) saw this. In in, In this book of the Bible, the book of Ruth, Ruth saw that God was worth far more than anything she would leave behind in the land of Moab. 
She saw that it was worth leaving all that she knew in Moab to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, and to go into the strange land and to say that your people will be my people. Your God will be my God to Naomi. This is very strange for Ruth. She didn't understand this promised land and everything else, but she embraced God. And she saw that God was far more important. Ruth saw what really matters. And that's going to be our title for this morning's sermon as we're going to look at Ruth chapter 1. What really matters. What really matters. So Ruth chapter 1. Let us hear now God's holy and his infallible word. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grants that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be Your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of God has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, 
and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her. Who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. This book of Ruth, it is a short book, only four chapters, but it deals with a wonderful and encouraging example seen in this woman, Ruth. The central character, though, we must see is not Ruth, it's God. As with any book of the Bible, whenever we come to either Esther or any of these other books, we might not even find many references to God in certain books, but God is always the central character. And when we come to any book of the Bible, we should always ask ourselves these questions. What does it teach me about God? And what does it teach me about God's relationship to his people? What does this book teach us about God? What does it teach us about his relationship with his people? And what Ruth sees, and I pray that we'll all see this here this morning, it's all about God, following God. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Not the temporal, not the things of this world, but following after God. Ruth sees this. Eventually, Naomi learns this. She doesn't learn it immediately. She gets, seems to enter into some sort of bitterness and perhaps some sort of spiritual coldness as she spends time away from where they are meant to be. But she learns this. She learns it the hard way, that it all must be about God. So it must be with our own lives. All about God. So that we would also have the same blessings by faith that Ruth had. Not the disappointment of Naomi that we see at the beginning of this book. So number one, we're going to look at this, this chapter under four headings. The first heading is this, greater foolishness. Greater foolishness. Now we're going to be comparing things throughout these points in our sermon. And we're going to look at verse 1. And verse 1 gives us the background. When did this book of Ruth happen? And this can help us to to understand what is going on at this time. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And we'll just stop there for a second. When the judges ruled. 
And remember how I said when we were trying to find this book in the Bible, it's right after the book of Judges. And there's a reason for that, because this book happens at exactly the same time as the previous book of Judges takes place. Now, what kind of days were the days of of the Judges? Were these happy days? No, they were actually quite difficult days. I've said previously in other sermons that one of the hardest books that I find personally to read is the book of Judges. It's not the length. It's not a difficult book in, in terms of being hard and from, a, from that kind of point of view. But it's just so heavy. There's so much sin involved. There's even certain chapters that you even wince when you read alone by yourself. They were really dark times. One of the main reasons for that was, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes, Judges 21-25. It's a very heavy book. And one of the reasons is, it lays open the sin. This is how you know the Bible's real. It doesn't pretend. It doesn't try to sugarcoat things. It shows exactly the problem For God's people at that time, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did that which is right in his own eyes. Now we have to think, when we look at the book of Ruth, why are we told this? Why are we told this at all? Well, all of the information we have here is very important. And it says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, these are dark days, that there was famine, a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Now, this may seem kind of normal because there were lots of famines in the ancient world. There was famines in Egypt and these things just happen. But we have to remember what was the land known for being? A land of milk and honey. And this was no ordinary land. This was the land that God had given his people. It wasn't like the days of the fathers beforehand. Abraham moved around quite a bit. Jacob and other, thing, other people moved around quite a bit. But this is different. They were in the promised land. In Bethlehem, Judah. Where eventually Jesus the Messiah would come out of that line. Where did they live? They lived in a place called Bethlehem. You know what's very interesting about the name Bethlehem? It means House of bread. House of bread. And in that house of bread, they lacked bread. They lacked bread. And again, this is very important because they were given this land, but they were also given promises that if they followed God, there would be blessings. If they went against God, there would be curses. One place where we find this is in Leviticus 26, verses 20 and 21. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield its fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. So there's very much a warning. If you, there would be blessing, God would provide enough. And what's interesting as well, this, wasn't, this is one of many famines that was taking place. The land of milk and honey, which was really a picture of heaven to come. Canaan was in 
lacking food. The house of bread itself didn't have enough. And why was this? Because there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. They lacked wisdom. The people of God at that day, they lacked wisdom. It was the days the judges ruled. And what happened in that famine, you're left with difficult decisions. Really hard decisions. Do we stay seeking the wisdom of God? Seeking repentance? Staying where we have us to stay? Because the land was really where the presence of God was. Where they were to remain. And to turn from such lack of wisdom. To to keep turning from God, it brings devastation. And uh, Elimelech and his family and his boys would see this. Now, we also need to be careful as we look at this book. Not every bad thing that happens in your life is linked to a specific sin that you have done. So you need to be careful about that. But the land was specifically given certain promises. Like today, it's not wrong to move and to, to move to different places if the Lord calls you to different places. But at that time, it was. At that time, it was. It was really a picture of them moving away, as we'll see later, from the presence of Almighty God. And not just to move anywhere. They, were, they moved to the land of Moab, a land east of the Jordan River, a land full of food and other things. Far more than where they were. Elimelech, Naomi had this decision to make. Trust in God. Remain where they are. Seek the wisdom of God. So number one, we looked at greater foolishness. Number two now, we're going to look at greater food. Greater food. In the middle of this spiritual darkness, what do the family of Elimelech and Naomi do? That they stay in the land given by God. It says halfway through verse 1. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab. And remained there. There was lack of bread. We see in Judah. In the house of bread. Bethlehem. Now. We also need to think about the difficulty. Elimelech and Naomi were facing. Before we get too critical. Of their decision to leave behind the promised land. Because I think we might sympathize a lot. With the struggles they went through. Now first of all in verse 1. It tells us that they went to dwell in the country of Moab. They went to dwell in the country of Moab. Uh, The King James translates it sojourn, which gives it an idea that it was only going to be for a temporary time, for a short time. Perhaps they thought, we're going to go there for a short period of time, and then we'll come back. Maybe that's the way they were thinking, that they were not thinking that it was permanent. They had two sons, and, and we know when there's a lack of food, of money and different things. There's a great temptation, isn't there? There's the pull of the world. You want to take care of your family. I'm sure that these were good intentions by Elimelech. Elimelech sees his wife and his two children, his two sons, 
struggling for food. Do we stay here? So there's a great temptation to be drawn into Moab. He, he desires, it looks like he desires to be a family man, take care of his family. He doesn't seek to abandon his wife. His wife does not seek to abandon him in this time of trouble. No, they stay together. And you could say, in a human level, there's something to praise there. But what do we say about the road of good intentions? That's a good intention, to take care of your family. That's a good thing. We must acknowledge that. But seeking to look after his family, and they go to where there's more food, was it the right thing to do? And it's the same with our temptation with the world. Sometimes there can be something very tempting. The world looks like it has greater blessings at times. We look at the unbeliever, often they look like they have a better life, a more fruitful life. They have more money, they have more whatever. They seem to have fewer problems. But if we look at it, who has the greater food? We as Christians who have the Bible or the unbeliever? And I hope we would say, no, we have the greater food right here. This is our greater food. That we follow God and stay close to his presence, his blessed presence. Because if we leave the presence of Almighty God traveling out to Moab spiritually... We will embrace a desert, a wasteland, and devastation. We often learn this by painful experience when we leave the presence of Almighty God. We often see it with other people as well. When we neglect the worship of God, when we neglect private worship perhaps, or public worship at church, or family worship as a family together. It's very important that the family gathers together to worship God. And what do they give up for the presence of Almighty God? They go towards the comforts of Moab, the temporary, short lived comforts of Moab. And, and it's a temptation we're seeing today that probably our parents and our grandparents' generation never experienced here of the temptation to work, to do works that are not of works of necessity and mercy on the Sabbath day. Now, I know there's some jobs, emergency jobs. There are jobs where you're taking care of the elderly. That must be done on the Sabbath day. But there are often a lot of work that does not need to be done on the Sabbath day. You don't need to cut your lawn, for example, on the Sabbath day and things like this. You don't need to visit a restaurant on the Sabbath day. But I know of Christians, personally, who have this great temptation that if they don't accept working on the Sabbath day, they'll lose their job. I'm not saying that these things are easy. They're not. It was a foreign land filled with idols and idolatry. See, when we're reading this, we might just think, well, Moab, it's just like anywhere else. It was filled with idols and idolatry. And they learned by experience that Moab did not really bring life. Only God brought life. Verse 3 says this. Verse 3 of our text. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. Now they took two wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the, women, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now again, it's not to say if you follow God, everything will go perfect. Nothing bad will ever happen. 
But they went out there, to, no doubt, to take care of their family. And what happened? They died. And Naomi sees this later, that God is in, is in control of everything. The circumstances of life as well. They went out to preserve their family and keep them. But you can't control everything. You can't control everything. I can't control everything. There's a certain sense in which we have to let go and realize that we can't be in control of all the circumstances around us. Another place may look like it has a better life. Better food. Better things. But if it requires leaving the side of God, don't go. There are many things in life we can enjoy, but never leave the side of Almighty God. It will only lead to disappointment. It looks good from a distance. Sin looks attractive from a distance. And then when you taste, and then when you see, it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. Uh, later on, Naomi sees this in verse 20 of our text. Verse 20. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. And Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. It means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So Naomi sees this is God's hand. Now everything in our life, whether it's good or bad, whether it's sweet or bitter, comes from the hand of Almighty God. Nothing's outside of his control at all. But she comes back seeing this. And she comes back with a sense of disappointment. She says that she went out full. She comes back empty. And on the surface it may have looked like. Oh look. Moab's got pretty good. You know, they got a lot of food over there. Things are a lot better over there. And she experienced personally. It's not. She experienced this personally. That the greater food was in the presence. Of almighty God. She doesn't immediately see this. But she does see this. Later, certainly Ruth, her daughter-in-law, did. So we've looked at greater foolishness, greater food. Now, number three, greater famine. Greater famine. Where was the real famine? It's important that we see that the real famine was not even in the land. There was a famine there, of course. But the greater famine was in Moab. They had idolatry and they were away from the presence of Almighty God. So that when we see those outside who are not in the presence of Almighty God, we would take pity on them. They have the famine. You have this food, dear friends. And what would you say if you found somebody who was without food, starving to death? You'd want to give them food, wouldn't you? You'd want to offer them. You'd take pity upon them. Well, there's many people starving to spiritual death without God. The greater famine is in Moab. Verses 6 and 7, it says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, and she might return from the country of Moab. And she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. The Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The Lord had brought mercy and blessings once again. Again, this is all by the hand of Almighty God. Anything good we have in this world is from God. 
And even the difficult things, dear friends, you should think about, why is God allowing this in my life? It's for a good reason. Whatever difficult thing that you're going through, if we, if we accept the good from God, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Job said, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We need to rely upon him. Realizing the greater famine is to be away from God, not to be by his side. Everything they have is from God's hand. Naomi's love for God as well as we look through this. It seems to grow cold. Now we're not sure. Naomi's love for God might have been like this even before she left the land. But while in Moab, it would be a struggle, wouldn't it? Surrounded by idols and idolatry. I don't know about you, but don't you experience... When you're around God's people and they encourage you, you feel closer to God. But when you're away from God's people, you, you struggle. And perhaps this is what happened to her. No believers around her. She struggles. She loses her two sons. So do, and her daughters-in-law also lose their husbands. But does she say, come with me? Does Naomi see what really matters? Come with me. Come with me to a land of milk and honey. Trust in the Lord, God Almighty. She doesn't. Sadly, at this point, she doesn't. What does she say? Verse 11, And Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? That they may be your husbands. She's still thinking about the here and now. Naomi, at this point, is still thinking about the security and protection of food and other things. Now, we may not understand the great significance of having a husband in the modern era, but back then it was very, very serious. It was a very serious thing. And this is one of the reasons why for a woman to lose her husband was really, really serious. Actually, usually a society, if they're going to mistreat anyone... It was going to be orphans and widows. Consider this. This is from Isaiah 1 verse 17. And this is calling them to repent. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Now what do those two groups have in common? The fatherless and the widow. They had no representation in in society. And so if anybody was going to be treated horribly and had no voice in society, it was the widow and the fatherless. This is why you'll often see it throughout the Bible like this. And today, it's anybody really who does not have a voice. Perhaps you could say it's the unborn child in the womb who does not have a voice today. A society has to repent of its mistreatment of those, not influential. The influential people will always be treated well. It's the uninfluential. It's the person who comes in among your midst, has no influence whatsoever in politics or any other way. How does a society treat those people? It's not just our generation that's poor at that. It was bad back then as well. This was a serious thing to not have a husband. And Naomi's thinking about, she's really thinking about, she does care about her daughters, but she's got the wrong focus. 
I can't provide you husbands, she's saying. Turn back, my daughters. Verse 12. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. She's still thinking about the here and now. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear two sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? She feared for what would happen to them if they followed her to the, to the promised land. She didn't see where the greater famine was. Naomi didn't see where the greater famine was. What was she doing? Effectively, spiritually, go back to the idols. I don't think she saw it like that. Go back to your idols. That's sad. And we as believers in Jesus Christ sometimes can do this. We sometimes can value the here and now so much, we say to people, no, no, go back to Moab. Don't follow me. Don't send. We must not send. People to idols. We must send them to Christ. And the idols can be material things. The idols can be saying to a young person, the most important thing is that you have a high paying job. No. The most important thing is that you trust in Christ. We can have many different idols. Point them towards Christ. Our final point here this morning is greater faith. Greater faith. So we've looked at greater foolishness, greater food, greater famine, finding out greater faith. Now, wonderfully, we finally get to Ruth. Does Ruth listen to Naomi? Should she have listened to Naomi? No. She doesn't listen to Naomi. Sometimes... Advice needs to be rejected. What did Naomi say, said to Ruth? We'll try to remind ourselves of this once more. Verse 13 says this, Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves for having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is pleading with them here. Come on, you need a husband. She said, you need to go back. I can't provide it. And you're going this direction. I can't provide it here either. One of them does listen to Naomi. Eventually. Orpah. But Ruth, what does it say in verse 14? And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. Ruth, she loved her mother-in-law. However, why did she reject this advice at this time? Because it was bad advice. Sometimes we must ignore bad advice. Well, we must always ignore bad advice. Look at what Ruth said. Why does Ruth cling to Naomi? She says it in verse 16 and verse 17. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. This is like, urge me not to leave you. Or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, this is the central thing. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. 
This is a Moabite saying this. This is someone who was raised in paganism, surrounded with idolatry. And she says to Naomi, your God, my God. She turns her back on the idols of Moab. Verse 17, when you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. Who had the greater faith? Ruth or Naomi? Remember, Naomi was raised in the promised land. She knew the promises of God. She was a Jew. And here is this Moabitesh showing greater faith than Naomi herself. Even people with good intentions may wish to draw you away from God. Isn't that interesting? It's not that Naomi didn't care about her daughter-in-law. She did, but she had the wrong focus. And because her focus was wrong, she gave her bad advice. You will get people who will try to drag you away from God with all the best intentions in the world. Now, look at what Naomi she was determined, verse 18, when, when she saw that she was determined to go with her. Notice there's a determination to keep going. She just, just, okay, fine, you want me to go back, that's okay. There's many people who will tell you, go back to Moab in your spiritual walk. Why would you waste your time with that Christian faith? Look at the, look at the blessings of Moab. Uh, but it's silly to go forward. And remember uh, Naomi's background. This is a Jew speaking to a Gentile. But the Gentile, this Moabites, exhibits more trust in God. I suppose one thing we could take from this as well, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't. There's another, um, Ruth, she didn't come from a Jewish background. Rahab, she's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, was outside of the people of God, one of the people of Canaan, she was a harlot and she's listed as one of the great saints in Hebrews chapter 11. Our background and our blood does not matter. What does matter is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Is he your God? And we can, with our sister, the saint Ruth, Say, your people shall be my people. She doesn't just cling on to the God of heaven and say, well, the people, nah, I'm not in. No, no. When you trust in God, you're also saying, your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth, I think we, we miss as well how hard would this have been for her? For her? Now, we're not sure whether she was a pagan when she got married to her husband or whatever the case may be. But at some stage, she came to trust in Jehovah, the God of heaven and earth. She trusted in him. Her heart was changed. And she was determined to walk on toward Canaan, the promised land. Naomi was dealing with bitterness at the same time. There was actually excitement when they came, fast forward a little bit, they come into, they're coming to Bethlehem, verse 19. 
And, and there's all this excitement. Could you imagine if somebody's been away for years? Maybe, so, maybe it's happened in this church. Maybe you, know, you haven't seen somebody for years and they're all excited. <gasps> is, that, is that Naomi? <gasps> and you're all excited. But what does she say? She's going through difficulty at this time. She says, call me, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She sees the hand of God in this. But it's not an easy time for her. I went out full, she says. And the Lord has brought me home empty again. Some parts of the Christian walk are, are very chastening. She sees it as the Lord's correction. But she doesn't feel very pleasant at this time. It doesn't feel very pleasant to receive chastening and correction. And perhaps you're going through difficult times yourself. Sometimes the Lord will bring Ruths in our, into our lives as well. It may be a Ruth who has come to the Lord later in life. Maybe there's Ruths around this town who are not yet saved. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Stirring up our hearts, reminding us of what blessings we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The best is yet ahead. Verse 22, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. And returned to the country Moab. And when, when were they there for? The barley harvest. They come for the food. Their friends, let us come for the spiritual food. The greater food. We, let's not think that the world has anything better than us. They don't. They don't. We can be like Naomi at times, forgetting what we have is special and wonderful. But what we need to be is not a Naomi, and we can all go through times like this, is to be a Ruth. Remembering, look, I can turn my back in Moab. It's not that important. I'm going to go with you. Wherever, wherever you will lead me, I will go. And she's really saying that to our God as well. It's not just out of our allegiance to our mother-in-law. It's out of our love for God. Look how difficult this would have been. She turns her back on everything she knew. She goes to a strange land she's never been to before. And she says that that God of that land is my God. I pray that that is the case for all of you here this morning. Amen.